because I was really used to Google Analytics Universal. So GA4 is different. So it took me a while to understand it and then learn how to work with it and ultimately really start to appreciate it. Um, I think it. I think GA4 is kind of like a strong smelly cheese. Like first, <laughs> you, you think it stinks, but once you get the hang of it, you start to really love it. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the SaaS Growth Hub podcast. Today we have a special treat for you because we invited our very own colleague Mia Makipa to talk to us about everything important in data and analytics today. Mia is a data and analytics strategist at Advanced P2P and she's our go-to person when we see something wonky with data. We promise you this is a fun episode. We talked about the topic that has been on everyone's lips for months, GA4. We also dug a little deeper into cookies as well as data skills and how companies can solve data challenges. So once again, it's an episode packed with useful advice. And for those careful listeners among you, there is an offer in the middle of the episode you should probably use pretty quickly before we are found out. Enjoy. Hey Mia, welcome to the Growth Hub podcast. Thank you for having me. You are a data and analytics strategist. So care to enlighten us a bit. What does a data and analytics strategist do on a daily basis? Well, um, I think that what we do in essence is that we help our customers solve all, all kinds of data and analytics related mysteries. Um, I would say that uh, in the big picture, I uh, educate, uh, consult and coach um, companies on what type of data they should use and what can they use, uh, how should they measure and track uh, different types of engagement in their digital environments. I also advise on to how, how can they like draw insight and recommendations from dashboards and other types of data. So that they can, the bottom line is that they need to be able to improve their processes and products. So how do we take data and and use it to improve our brand, our product, our processes, our customer and uh, end user understanding? Uh, Probably on an average day, you would find me doing some event tracking. I might be debugging a malfunctioning script. Maybe I'm blending some data sources onto a dashboard, or maybe I'm just comforting a scared customer who is overwhelmed by data. (laughs) Some of those things you mentioned in there, I have absolutely no clue how to do, so I'm really glad you're here. Um, Talking a bit more generally, what do you think are the main data and analytics challenges that organizations are facing right now? Um, Well, I think like if you look at the kind of data life cycle as a whole, the main issues have to do with the beginning and the end. So in the beginning, it's about obtaining data. And in the end, it's about the data utilization. So sort of like the opposite ends of the spectrum. Of course, we have issues in every single one of these stages, but these two are maybe the most timely and the ones that we always keep running to. So with the obtaining of the data, we are definitely seeing changes in uh, policies and in products. So we are getting less and less data. Uh, things like GDPR and other privacy regulations uh, means uh, and also the things that um, 
tech companies are doing um, as a way to respond to these um, regulations, it means that we are seeing less and less uh, third-party cookies and we are otherwise having like less data by proxy. So this means that we have to figure out new ways to obtain data and to understand our customers and understand how they engage with our digital products. So things like server-side tracking, progressive profiling, feedback and surveys, forms, etc. And many of these are, they're new to companies, they're new to marketers, they're new to all of us. So we are all in a learning curve. And for a lot of time, this uncertainty means uneasiness. So we used to be able to do a lot of things and now we're not able to do those things anymore. And we don't know if these new things work as well as the old things. So there's this testing environment and um, a lot of people are just not accustomed to it. So it makes things a little bit uneasy. And then from the end side, I would say that the, so the usage of data. So a lot of companies, Companies lack the ability or resources to actually transform their data insight into usable action. So they might just look at, or they, they might have really good measuring and reporting capabilities, but they don't have the skills or resources to take this data inside and put it into action, right? So instead they just sit on a, like a monthly or quarterly meeting and they're like, huh, a number. There's the number again. So, ooh, that number is different from previous number, you know? And instead of thinking like, okay, how do we take this data and use it to improve our work? What can we do differently right now, today? I'm glad you just mentioned the lack of data skills in companies. And, and obviously that's not only a company problem, but marketers are also sometimes lacking those skills. I know I could definitely improve my, my data capabilities in a way, but what do you, what do you think uh, are the data skills that companies should at least the minimum have? And should every company have maybe like a full day data scientist or should certain people like us marketers develop certain skills? So what do you see is kind of the this is what they should at least be having in terms of their skills. Um, absolutely, yes and yes. So yes to uh, hiring data skilled people and yes to improving data skills uh, all around. Uh, I definitely would say that um, uh, data literacy and a certain level of um, tech competencies and analytics competencies, the ability to read visual data and um, make recommendations based on it is something that it's it's really a must-have with everyone who is working with digital products nowadays. So marketers should have at least like a basic level of knowledge with these things. And then the more you increase your competence, the more competitive advantage you gain. And this like turning it around means that if you're not in this level, it means that you are losing your competitive advantage, right? So you're like falling behind. And I definitely think that beyond like taking individual responsibility and sort of stressing about if you know enough, this is also something that like companies and employers and like the C-level should take responsibility of so that they can really allocate resources to learning and really lead by example and drive their, their learning curve and really make it known that data literacy and the ability to use data is something that we all must be able to do. One thing that I would really recommend to everyone is uh, like a data skills map. So this would have 
like the levels from basic, intermediate and advanced skills based on um, different roles or different functions. And this would help people estimate their own skill levels so that they can mirror themselves uh, to their peers or to like, what is my level? So where am I heading next? And it is, it would also help them to focus, uh, like know how, where to focus on next. So not everyone need, like no one needs to know everything, right? So for example, if you're a content marketer, you don't need to know the ins and outs of data integration, but you definitely should be quite versed in engagement metrics and you should be at least interested in behavior modeling. Uh, similarly, if you are a sales manager, you don't need to know everything about how well your brand is doing in their awareness metrics, but you do need to know your API and integration and capabilities and roadmap like the back of your hand. So it is really about your own role and your own function and what kind of data competencies do you need to have within that. But as a whole, if you sell digital products, if you are a SaaS company and you are not taking care of your own data and analytics, you are falling behind. So SaaS companies definitely need someone to take care of their data and analytics. So whether it's um, internal or external role, or if it's, it could be anyone from a marketing strategist to a um, technical web analytics consultant, but there needs to be ownership from your data, your data well-being, your analytics well-being, your measurement strategy, your planning. Um, so someone has to have responsibility over that. And then from there, I would say the more complex and fluctuating your market needs are, and the more tech advanced your product is, the more likely it is that you will first need a data analyst, then you will need a data engineer. You might even go to um, data warehouse engineers or machine learning experts. So the more you learn, the more you will need to learn more. Yeah, so, um, and then um, there are a lot of different things that companies need to focus on and take care of, and no one can know everything, right? So it's becoming more and more important that you have a good network of, of people who also know about complex data integrations, data management. Uh, so it might be a senior advisor or a freelancer or just someone you know that you can really reach out for help. And um, I think this might be something that a lot of companies that are very used to leaning in on their internal um, skills are not very accustomed to, but working as an, at an agency, you notice quite quickly that even senior consultants have senior consultants that they call because no one can know everything. And we don't pretend to know everything. We have our own specified skill sets. And it's one of the major skills that you can have is to understand the limits of your own knowledge and then how to find people that know things that you don't, right? So when you have this data skill mapping, you can see where your team and company blind spots are. And then you'll know, okay, this we can do internally, this we can do externally. For this specific thing, I don't know who could know this. So I need to allocate resources to find someone who helps me with this. And you know, um, I am someone's call, but I have someone to call. So that's one of the major things that you really understand the whole um, data ecosystem enough to know what you don't know and enough that you can find people who know the things that you don't know. Mm. That, that was a really good response. And I know that you are my go-to 
person you are, my call with all the data and analytics stuff. Um, uh, I've got next question is that most of the organization organizations, they do collect loads of data, um, but actually only a fraction utilizes that data to support their growth. And my assumption is that a lot of marketers are overwhelmed by data and don't know actually how to draw conclusions from it for myself as being one of them uh, sometimes. So uh, my question to you is that how would you go about helping a customer who has data but doesn't know or have any idea how to use that? Um, okay, so let's take a situation where you would have like a report, you already have your goals, you have your KPIs, and then you would have this information. Uh, this is a scenario where also your data is in, like, it's in place, it's correct. You just, you have everything, now you just need to utilize it and you don't know how to, right? So let's assume that you have noticed that after engaging enough with your company newsletter, um, an MQL is, like it's turning, like it's mm, getting more scores and it's becoming an SQL, right? So after downloading uh, specific things and then spending enough time engaging with your newsletter, they are slowly becoming an SQL. But your problem is that if you separate your KPIs between you know, first newsletter opens, second, third, fourth, and the fourth one is like the golden egg from the goose, in this allegory. Data goose. Data goose. Data goose. Perfect. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, but then you notice that your first email open rate is like 85% and your second email open rate is like 35%. So this becomes your, it is your, your hindering KPI. It's the KPI that blocks you from growth. So this would be the first KPI that we look at together and we think, okay, what kind of things can we do to improve this metric? What kind of things can we try to do to improve this metric? And then once you have all your data set up, you can try a bunch of things, different things. You can think about does the first letter drive, first newsletter drive us enough value? Uh, is the content engaging? Is there something we're missing? Are we not opening strong? Are we not? Is the sub subject line of the second newsletter somehow faulty? Like you can have so many hypotheses. Just said hy hypothesis like a thesis, hypothesis. <laughs> you can have so many <laughs> hypotheses. Hypo that's a really hard word. It's a difficult Isn't word. Isn't it? Yeah. And then you would assign each of this uh, some kind of metric or some kind of notation that you can follow them. So when you come back to these campaigns, you can see what kind of things made a positive impact to the second KPI. Once you get the second, once you get the, or the second newsletter KPI, so once you get that up, then you can continue to do that. And then you can uh, jump to your next blocking KPI. Or maybe you have something that's working really well. We can think, okay, what, is, what are we doing here that we could replicate elsewhere? So this would be a way to, so it's not even enough to just write things down on a PowerPoint and say, we need to have better value you know, propositions. Like that's not, that's still not, that's an actionable insight, but that's not an action. An action would be, say, yeah, next time, write us a copy that highlights this, 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 and that. And then you do it. That is the action. 
that you take from the data. So it has to go all the way to actually doing things. Another thing that I would say is like, it's, it's very common that companies um, don't look at their reporting or they are, there are some things that they just consider as blind spots because they are saying like, oh, like we don't use that section because the data is broken or we don't, that's not reliable data or it's not set up well or it's not up to date. So we just don't use that part. Um, you know, we can't report this, we can't report that, we can't calculate the return of investment, you know, we can't do this and that because we don't have a reliable data. And they just live with that. They are just like, that is their normal. Like, these are just, there are just some things that we cannot do. And that's not true. Like, I would say to all of them, like, if the data is broken, if you don't trust the data, if the data is updated, let's fix it. If the data intake is faulty, let's fix that. If the metrics are uh, out of date, Let's update them. You know, there is nothing that we have to just accept. Oh, it's broken. Oh, rest in peace data. No, let's fix what is broken. And then we can start reporting. In terms of the data reliability, um, if, if a company has that situation that you've just described, the data is broken for whatever the reason that you, you just gave. Is there something that um, either marketers or, or, or something that they can do in the company themselves to start fixing that? Is there something that every company should be doing to just make sure that their data is reliable and things are not broken and so forth? Or is the, is the answer always like, well, get somebody to do it for you? Like, can we give some kind of advice for anybody who might be listening right now that we actually need to do something about our broken data? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that there are two ways to look at it. Your your data can be broken from the point of like a technical point of view. So you might have some difficulties with your with your scripts, with your cookies, with your uh, there might be some duplicates in the tags and these kind of things. I would probably leave to someone who is is interested in in working with these. But then uh, the the second equally important part is that all companies should have shared definitions of what each metric means. So if you don't use life cycles because you just think that, okay, this is, we have this amount of MQLs, but we don't trust it because to me, MQL means a different thing than to someone else. So I don't calculate the number of MQLs because it's not true anymore. You know, a year ago, um, MQL would have been this and that, but MQL isn't really that anymore. So let's not use that metric. Instead, what you should do is redefine that MQL. And that is something that you can do, like not by yourself, but in your company. But you have to have a shared understanding of what is a lead, what is a deal, what is a conversion, what is valuable to us. And if you have things like conversion points, everyone should know what it means. Like if the paid advertising person is driving leads to a conversion point, that they think is valuable, but then a salesperson thinks that another conversion point, like another form fail is valuable. And of course there's a mismatch in the reporting and no one is happy because they're not speaking of the same conversions. They are not holding the same things equally important. So this is something that everyone can and should do within their own company. And no one can really come from outside and tell you what are your main um, drivers, what are your most important things with your customer. We can help, like external consultants can help in the technical setup, but you know the best what is the most valuable thing to you from a strategy perspective. So that's definitely something 
like that I would do like inside a company and then reach out to someone to help with like, okay, how do we technically then implement these changes? Okay, so if you think about inside the company, who would you actually get involved to get the kind of the correct conversion points and, and set up done? Who would be the people that you would have to engage in this process, in your opinion? You mean like the technical setup or just the conversation about what are or important? The conversation, because when you do the defining of the conversion points or conversions. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I would definitely, if I think of a SaaS company, I love the sales, um, how do you call it? Like sales development representatives or the first contact people who make the uh, initial initial contacts to prospects. I think they have amazing knowledge of what users find uh, important or what uh, customers are asking. So I would definitely involve um, a bunch of them and then just salespeople in general, um, marketing, marketing strategists, content marketer, paid acquisition people, product developers, um, any C-level person who has insights or, or like wants to know and be able to uh, tell um, what kind of things are important for the customer retention. So what kind of customers are we, do we want and we want to attract? So um, product marketers, um, brand people, um, anyone who works with the product or the, cost, uh, or the customers, sales, marketing. Um, I probably forgot something. <laughs> Invite them. So it's a, in, in other words, it's like the entire organization's uh, matter or kind of defining those and understanding. And this is actually something that us marketers would have to kind of realize that it's just not uh, kind of our own little silo that we work in. It's like everyone we need to get, be involved, kind of involved in the marketing process, because otherwise we will not get the right conversion points and pretty much don't know what we're measuring or kind of having just those vanity metrics that we follow. Absolutely. And I think that there are different ways to think about this. Like sometimes you see these companies where the marketing team is very much like in their own corner and defending their own thing and sales is doing that and developers are doing that and products, you know, engagement, people are doing this. And then there are companies where everyone realizes that everything is the same. We are all like marketing is everything. The product is everything. Sales is everything. Engagement is everything. So we all just day to day our day to day work is different from each other, but our goals are the same or insights are the same. We can learn from each other. And when someone understands something really vital about a customer, we should all know that. So that is something that I think it's, it is, um, I think that us marketing people do have like a special role in enabling everyone in our conversation, because it is in, in many times we are kind of the port to the customers. So if, if the cost, if for example, the product developers know and understand something, we should know that so that we can utilize that in our marketing. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let's move on to a very specific hot topic in data and analytics at the moment, the famous or infamous, depending on who you ask GA4. So. We've we've obviously chatted about this with you earlier, and uh, then you mentioned that GA4 is um, often seen as 
maybe even the unnecessary evil. And even you thought so initially. You have since then changed your mind. Can you tell us why? Well, I think honestly, like when you are used to something and then it changes, your first reaction is no, (laughs) (laughs) it worked. Don't touch it. So then you get angry because, you know, something that works, you should never change it. So this was my first reaction too. I'm not perfect Um, because I was really used to Google Analytics Universal. So GA4 is different. So it took me a while to understand it and then learn how to work with it and ultimately really start to appreciate it. Um, I think it, I think GA4 is kind of like a strong smelly cheese. (laughs) First, you, you think it stinks, but once you get the hang of it, you start to really love it. Awesome. So what is so great and not so great about GA4? Well, I think my favorite thing about it is that in general, it drives us to focus on quality metrics. Um, I've often talked about the importance of, uh, of focusing on these quality metrics instead of quantity metrics. So let's not only look at how many people visit a site, uh, regardless of if they found it accidentally or you know, if they meant to click something else or how many times a page was loaded, but let's instead focus on these high quality users and their potential high quality customers. So thinking about um, how much time did our visitors really spend engaging with a specific type of content or what actions did they uh, make after uh, consuming a specific type of content or after seeing a specific piece, because at the end of the day, what everything in your website is is there to invoke a reaction, right? So let's measure the reactions. Uh, and with GA4, the whole logic is event-based. So it, it is focused on actions of users instead of just page loads. There's also one dimension, one new dimension called um, engaged sessions. And it's really, it's really a dimension focusing on this exactly. So it's high quality sessions. So how many times did a user come to the page and, and do something that is sort of worthwhile to us, marking it as a high value session? So I think that's exactly the type of thing that we should be measuring. Another pro that I would give, just because I really like it, <laughs> is uh, that it really allows us for a much better unification of our data streams. So if, um, if I have a customer that has used uh, Firebase, we can um, unite their app data from Android and from iOS, and then we can have uh, subdomains and domains and everything can be in the one GA4 property. And this makes it a lot easier to, because for us, from a business perspective, it's not really relevant if the user was in a main domain or subdomain or, or an app. We All we want to do is we want to understand their behavior and we want to know what interests them and we have to uh, engage them better, right? So we can consider the whole data ecosystem as one. And this is something that we can do now because uh, GA4 allows us for these unique session IDs. So it's completely anonymous. It's just something that they assign that makes it easier for us to track the user journeys. But at the same time, it is denying the IP collection by proxy, which is something that we didn't used to have in Google Analytics Universal, like we would have to do an extra step to make sure that we are hiding the IP addresses. Now they're hidden by proxy, so it's a little bit more privacy friendly. Um, on the downside, 
I do have to admit that yes, the UI can feel a little complex. I, I admit <laughs> that. So uh, especially if you're not like a heavy analytics user with years of experience, I would say that um, maybe the GA4 benefits the experts, like really high, like um, web analysts that are really used to all kinds of uh, nuances, but it might be trickier than the previous one to beginners or people who have only like have only used are only used to like looking at things instead of um, making that many uh, events or segments and so forth. So for beginners, um, GA4 might be a difficult place to start. Um, and again, if you are used to Google Analytics Universal, then it might feel difficult to start finding the things that you were used to seeing in one glance. And for this, uh, we have um, for some customers, what we have decided to do is that I'll just pull the data. Like we use GA4 as the data source. It is an excellent data source. So we use that as a data source and then we pull the information someplace else, usually Data Studio, but it can be any reporting place that the customer has or wants to have. And then we can continue, like they can continue to consume the data exactly as they wish. So, you know, if someone is really adamant, but like, I always had the bar chart here and the donut chart there, then I will take it to Data Studio. I will put the bar chart here <laughs> and the donut chart there and you can carry on as if nothing had changed. Great. So how should we be approaching this GA4 switch? What do you think? Um, how do you think it will affect our work and how should we like head on face it? Well, I think that we should all probably, or we would all probably agree that analytics platforms and tag manager containers need a little bit of spring cleaning every now and then. And we can also agree that a lot of times when we are really emphasizing growth and speedy actions, we kind of forget to do that, right? So I would take this as an excellent opportunity to audit and realign your analytics and your measurement strategy. So make sure that everything is still up to date because um, from a technical perspective, when we migrate to GA4, we have to uh, recreate tags um, in uh, Google Tag Manager. If you didn't understand any of these words, this is the moment <laughs> where you have to consider hiring a consultant. But uh, if you did understand, then you know, let's carry on. So <laughs> it's a good time to uh, evaluate and validate that your event measurement is still up to date. Like, um, because things in the SaaS field do change really fast, right? So maybe a year ago, you had a company-wide goal that you wanted to have as many freemium registrations as possible. And now, now you have changed to have wanting to have as many demo requests as possible. But this might be one of the things where the data is sort of broken because maybe it's not reflecting in your lifecycle assessment. So you're still, the MQLs are still freemium registrators versus, you know, the DML requesters, and that's why you're not using the data. So let's update the MQL definition to this demo request. Let's do the same for the GA4 so that we know like the conversions that we want to lead or add to are now the demo requests instead of the premium registrations. That, that kind of things are often, like if no one takes the time to stop and like reevaluate things, these kind of things are lost and they might be 
broken until we update them. Or maybe you have a new subdomain and you notice that it's not collecting any data yet because you were so excited when you put it up that you forgot to put a tag container in it. Very normal. A lot of things happen like this, that someone forgets the data because everyone is so excited about just doing things moving forward. Or you might be in the 0.01% of customers that have all of their data and analytics things perfectly in shape. Congratulations to you. Please talk to me. I want to hear your secrets. And, um, but if you are there, then uh, I would, like from a technical perspective, I really recommend just uh, reading up on the documentation about the migration of GA4 through uh, Tag Manager. Uh, again, if this sentence made you almost fall asleep, then instead talk to an expert. A lot of people are super happy to help you. Um, as for like thinking about how it will affect the work of like a day-to-day -day marketer, uh, maybe the biggest change would be in the UI. So you would have to learn a little bit about the new UI. It's not impossible, but it, you know, like relearn Google Analytics a little bit, see where your basic, uh, the basic charts that you use or the basic tables, where are they, how do they work? And then probably you will gain some interest in uh, a dashboard like Data Studio in case you fall out of patience and like you are, you used to able to, used to be able to have this filter here and then you looked at this there. So maybe you can ask a web analyst friend to create you a data studio report where you can see the same things with the same filters. Um, but besides this, you know, the bones remain the same. We track acquisition and behavioral data from websites and applications. That is what we did and that is still what we do. So, yeah, could you? Yeah, um, I, I, I want to clarify something. So you just mentioned that, you know, um, they will, uh, so if, if a marketer, what we can do is we can either learn the new user interface of GA4 or start working in an analytics dashboard like Data Studio. Is it really an, an or question? Like, is it really the case that as a marketer, I don't really need to uh, figure out GA4 and the user interface there and I can just, we can, I can just forget that and we can just move our data to Data Studio. Is it, is it really that like straightforward? Okay, I was, what I meant was like, you will have to spend some time, or what I was trying to say was that you have to spend some time learning the new UI and finding out where things are that you want to see specific. And then you will probably want to start looking at uh, a data reporting uh, pro uh, product like Data Studio. Um, there are a lot of things that you can do in GA4 that require quite a bit of maybe technical expertise, but the things that we can do are super cool. Like one of the things we did it, like in uh, Google Analytics Universal, we had this thing where you can look at what was the first page that a user went to and when did where did they go after that and then after that. In GA4, you can do it the other way around, which is actually the thing that you care about, right? So you can look at the last page or the last page of interest to you. So let's say like a contact page, so what did they do before that? Before they went to the contact page, what did they do before that? And this is the funnel that actually interests us, right? Or you could do uh, audience segmentation based on really like um, distinct rules. 
So we could have something like people who register to use an app, but haven't yet done the thing that to us means that they are a meaningful user. So they haven't um, you know, started to use a specific feature, for example. We can create an audience based on that, and then we can uh, remarket to them in Google platforms. So there are things like these that we can do, but if I'm thinking it from a perspective of um, like your, your, your average marketer, I wouldn't expect you to learn how to do these things. I would expect you to be curious enough to learn what kind of things can you do there and then know like what kind of things you would be able to apply in your work. And then you call your consultant friend who is technically savvy uh, and then you ask them to do these things for you. So I think that would be like the GA4 opens a lot of opportunities for, for us, but it's not really realistic to have everyone spend their time on becoming a GA4 pro, but to understand the opportunities that it does provide to you or understand how the changed logic into an action or event-based uh, tracking, what does it mean to you? How can you make use of that? And then when you have this uh, user case or you, this scenario, then when you formulate it to a research question, then you can push that forward to your data savvy friend. Can we do some myth busting now? So are there any myths or misconceptions circulating uh, about GA4? And if there are, uh, would you like to debunk some of them? Now, now's your chance to do it. Oh yes, I'm really happy that you asked this question. Uh, I would definitely say that regarding GA4 or Google Analytics in general, um, Lately, there has been a lot of freaking out regarding um, GDPR-related recommendations from European privacy officials. And this has led to a lot of people assuming that Google Analytics is now illegal in general. So use Google Analytics, go to jail, right? Um, so <laughs> rather than, so this is a, I will absolutely know. We need a Google myth. Analytics prison. <laughs> yeah. Yes, GA absolutely. Prison. Have you seen any of your friends who use Google Analytics? No, because they are all now in Google Analytics prison. Horrible. But don't worry about it. They're being served cookies. <laughs> um, yeah, so since many assume that Google Analytics uh, is now illegal in general, uh, in order to avoid the Google Analytics prison, they will just not update to GA4 and either change their web analytics provider or drop web analytics as a whole. Like that is their kind of scared reaction. Like let's just stop. Um, there are, if you, if for one reason or, not, or another, Google Analytics is a complete no-no to you, I would definitely say that there are, or I would speak on behalf of really good uh, privacy first or first party tracking options uh, that have European hosting, such as uh, Matomo, Pivik Pro or Plausible. But uh, the specific problems that um, are being addressed right now, there are already ways that we can resolve them, such as uh, server-side tracking. And I would also remind people that, um, or I would say that a lot of companies have really extensive Google ecosystems or ecosystem dependencies already. So if you have Google Cloud, you have Google Ads, you have Google Dynamic audiences, you know, you have all kinds of Google products. If you just, you know, stop using Google Analytics as your web analytics provider and move on to something else, 
you might break some of your ecosystem dependencies and actually lose a lot of data, lose a lot of marketing possibilities. So I wouldn't be too hasty in, in jumping into another provider before kind of reviewing what kind of options you have and what is your need for the change. Um, but um, I, would, I would also say that the specific issues around uh, Google Analytics that we have right now, it is October 22. So this, if you're listening a year from now, you're probably gonna laugh your ass off once I tell you like my suggestions on what I think will happen because I'm probably wrong, but let's see. So right now we are talking about uh, the GDPR realm is talking about uh, like these risks for potential leaks of private user data to the US. So European users data might be leaking to the, or private data might be leaking to the US. Uh, based on this contract called Privacy Shield. And that contract is being modified as we speak. So there is a, a unified interest in resolving this issue. And everyone is doing a lot of different things. We are having lobbyists in uh, the technological business and in the parliament and in all kinds of conversations. We could be gaining European hosting, resolving one issue, we could have the GDPR regulations drop some of the most uh, strict definitions for private data. Like right now they are considering things like your mobile uh, or your device type as private data. And maybe I'm just like a lenient person, but for me, I like, you can have it, you know, like I'll let, I'll let you know what, like if I'm using a mobile phone or, or a desktop, like I don't, you know, maybe we should have some leniency in that, just say. Uh, or there's a, a bunch of other things that we are, we might be ha like, we might get to resolve these issues. And that way we could be using, like continuing to use Google Analytics. It is by far the most popular web analytics platform in the world and in Europe. So there is no way that anyone is just gonna let it go. And as a whole, we would just have to stop using Google Analytics. So what I'm saying is, of course, you are, good to be concerned and you're good to read up on, on privacy. But I would just, uh, my, my recommendation, not a legal advice, not to be used in court. <laughs> Anything I say or do may not be used in court against me. Uh, but I would just say that um, don't hop away from Google Analytics or definitely don't abandon web analytics in general before you consider your options. And there are a lot of them. There's a lot of different things, different options, different ways of uh, looking at this thing or ha having different kind, of, uh, different kind of platforms you can use, different kind of tracking you can use. And there's a lot of people who are really happy to recommend the most suitable solution on a case-to-case -case basis. And uh, hey, if you are a SaaS company and based after me scaring you off or not, like if you're still here after I have scared you with the Google Analytics prison and you still want to do a GA4 migration, it's actually going to be me who would be doing it. So if you want a, uh, like a GA4 migration, you can find this thing in our uh, website where you can like order one. You can use the campaign code cheese and I'll give you like a, like a 10% off. Uh, just say Mia sent you, just put that in the contact form and you have to do it either by the end of 22 or before my boss finds out about this. So be quick. 
So um, after that shameless plug, <laughs> let's move on to the second hot topic that already got um, a favorable mention in a way. Cookies. So cookie cookie policies or cookies policies are evolving quite a, quite a lot uh, in favor of, of user privacy, as we've already kind of um, discussed. Um, and that will again obviously affect what we can we can measure now. What kind of changes should we be expecting in the world of cookies? Uh, not talking about the one that you can buy in a shop, but actual data cookies. And how will it change the work we do? Yeah, things have already changed a lot, haven't they? Yeah. And they will continue to do so. Uh, we like i'm not gonna lie we're gonna need completely new solutions after the third party cookies take their final journey into the night rest in peace um i have already mentioned some of the actions uh so things like product registrations anonymous first party tracking progressive profiling uh single sign-ons or ssos that's the thing where you log in somewhere and like using your gmail or your facebook uh, profile it would be an SSO in case like someone talks about it. Now, you know, they're like, oh, does it have an SSO? You're going to sound really tech savvy. And then we have things like surveys, uh, polls and so forth. But beyond these things, we have to start looking at advertising from completely different angles and start utilizing um, new products that no longer rely on these third party cookies. So things like contextual advertising, uh, having new strategies for remarketing and attribution. Even with server-side tracking, there is at the moment there is definitely a void, with many advertising companies like still struggling to close data gaps. Uh, I would also say that companies really need to opt for customer data platforms to manage and utilize the first-party data that they collect because it's becoming more valuable than ever. Um, and I, I mentioned earlier about like the challenge that companies have with the a lack of resources or skills or focus in regards to the ability to take data insight and put it into action. So with this, obviously, my my point with that was that it's really important that employees and team teams and companies learn how to steer their individual work based on data insight. But I also mean things like um, purchasing and learning to use uh, tools and um, content such as uh, marketing automation or personalized content or learning new opportunities in multi-channel integrations and marketing. So it's also about telling our tools or how to work within themselves because we no longer, or we never really used the marketing like personalized data, but now we don't even have to necessarily have the data in our, on our own. We can just feed it to the machine and tell it what to do. And with machine learning, it can pro like, provide the users directly with uh, personalized pieces of content. But of course, we have to learn how to use this in a way that benefits our business cases. So maybe all in all, I would say that uh, companies really will need to make sure that they are working with marketers that are up to date and highly skilled. They need to be data literate. Uh, they need to be technologically savvy. And as far as marketers go, they need to make sure that they are these things. Okay, so considering all that, how can one continue making informed decisions with one eye shut? Well, I think if I close one eye, I would, I still see quite as well, 
it would just take some getting used to and I would have to learn to look at things from a really like a little bit more uh, different angle but then when you lose one side you're so like other sizes get heightened so with this awkward analogy I would say that you know we lose some things yeah so we have to start making better use of what we have and we also have to start uh, looking at other ways to make up for what we lost and uh, to be even better than before. Before we move on to our final fast five, is there something that you would like to say about data and analytics that we didn't ask you? This is your chance. Fair enough. Maybe like the one thing that I feel like it's good to always remember is that the world of data and analytics changes really fast. Uh, the world of marketing changes fast as well and the world changes fast as well. But this is one realm where um, even if you knew something you know, six months ago, it, it might be outdated information. If you were used to doing something a certain way a year ago, that might not work today, let alone you know, two years ago, five years ago. So you have to either you know, keep up with everything and always be learning, or then you have to make sure that you have someone who is interested in learning and very knowledgeable, and then you have to give them resources to keep learning. Um, but then there's also like a, like a bright side to this, because since everything is like going on so fast, it means that it's never too late to start learning. So if you didn't know anything like five years ago, that doesn't really matter today, because even the things that I knew five years ago, I can't use much of that. I've had to learn new things along the way. So we are all in a learning curve all the time. And I think with like analytics communities and data communities, there's so much eagerness to help one another. So we have a lot of forums, we have a lot of networks, a lot of documentation. Like it is, it's not like, obviously you have to put the work in, but if you want to learn, you definitely can. And this is a really good time to start learning. I will probably say that forever, but this really is a really good time to start learning. Like, it is not too late. It is not too early. So if you think that you have fallen behind with the analytics wheel, just hop back on. Things are different than they were like five years ago. You can just join in. Let's learn together. All right. Shall we just move to the last, last bit, which is uh, the fast five? questions so before we let you go we'll ask you five short questions and we kind of expect to get short answers whatever comes to your mind are you ready okay, okay. yeah what book or books are you currently reading um this is an author that i i wrote his name down because i wasn't sure if i would remember it so it's seth stevens davidovich uh so uh, the book is called everybody lies um, very good reading. It teaches you to never trust anything or anyone, any, anywhere. Uh, very inspiring. Um, also, I would quickly plug any kind of self-help book to help you fall asleep. You know, set the snooze timer because there is nothing better than falling asleep as someone calmly repeats to you that you are good enough. <laughs> okay. ASOS company you love and why? I will have to say Supermetrix because they literally make my life easier every day. And I think that that is truly the bottom line. What is your favorite place to read about growth? 
Um, I do this exercise that I uh, recommend to everyone where you read just piece of news, a piece of foreign po uh, politics or a piece about um, anything that happens abroad, be it market, uh, culture, finance, and think about how does this specific thing affect the life of my company and the life of my end, end customers. And once you learn how to make these jumps and to think like laterally, then you teach yourself contextual thinking. And that is one of the most valuable skills that you can have as an all-around marketer. Love that. What is the most important growth metric in your opinion? Uh, I think retention rate. It is something that a lot of companies who that are super excited about growth, they might get stuck or they might fall in love with their acquisition metrics to the extent that they forget about uh, following the retention rate. But uh, I like to remind them that in the end, it really all comes down to loving our customers and making sure that they never leave us. <laughs> okay, what is your best piece of advice for fellow SaaS marketers? Um, I would definitely say that if you don't understand data and analytics or visual data, or uh, you are really confused about all of the technical mambo jumbo, you are not alone. You are not one in a million. You are in a very good company because this is something that most people struggle with. So the best thing you can do is that when you don't understand something, don't just nod along and pretend that you understand. Raise your voice. Just say, I'm sorry, I'm lost. Can someone explain this to me? And really ask until you understand. Because if you never ask, then you're actively hindering yourself from learning, which is the least productive thing that you can do. And you're like only hurting, only hurting yourself if you do that. So just ask. Well, thank you so much, Mia, for coming on the podcast. This has been an absolute blast. Um, and those of you who are listening, if you want to learn more about GA4, Mia has actually written a very insightful blog uh, article titled GA4 for Sauce Marketing, how to do the switch effectively. It's on our advanced B2B blog, and I will I highly recommend reading that. And uh, if you just want to jump right into it, remember Mia's a shameless plug in the middle of the podcast use your use the word cheese when you contact her or us and uh, she will get into trouble for giving you a discount but it's, now is the time to try it just do it <laughs> and you are worth it yeah. <laughs> and that's it thanks everyone for listening we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did and in fact we would love to hear your thoughts yeah so tell us what you thought anything we missed anything you'd like us to revisit Let's keep the conversation going on on Twitter at SaaS Growth Hub or on LinkedIn at the SaaS Growth Hub podcast. And if you don't want to miss the next episode, make sure you subscribe to Growth Hub on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or SoundCloud. Until next time, cheers! cheers.